Hello and welcome to this new episode of the World Leather Podcast. It's great to be with you again. I'm Stephen Tierney, the editor of World Leather. This episode is another in our Leather Leaders series. In this episode, we bring you a discussion between John Clark, Chief Executive of Primeja, and me, which we recorded in the spring of 2020. Primeja's two tanneries are in China and Vietnam, which means it felt the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic early. John Clark has been thinking for longer than most of us about the effect this crisis is having on his business and on the wider leather industry, and he has some strong views about what might happen next. I hope you enjoy listening. Let's start with this broader opening question, but still very serious question uh, coming from the IMF. This phrase, the world economy coming to a a standstill, that, that shocked me because... When you have people like the uh, managing director of the International Monetary Fund use a phrase like that, uh, it's you know it's serious. And uh, so my question yeah. is: the effects of this, whether it's exactly what she said, but the effects of that that you are observing on the leather industry in general, and as far as you're able to tell me on Prime Asia in particular. Yes. Um... Well, that, there's, there's, unfortunately, there's not an easy answer to that. We, um, we started to see uh, significant effects of this way back in January, the, uh, you know, late January, yeah. as, as it started to become known in China. And, and so in January, it started to have effects on Prime Asia, obviously, because we, we, we were witnessing this virus take effect in in what what at the time was just a small region of China, but yet it had far-reaching effects in the sense that the government took dramatic steps to close down industry at that point in time. Mm. So we we felt those effects. The first step we ever took was on January 24th. And and by the end of January, as you know, our facility was closed down. And at that point in time, we were concerned about about supply, yeah. right? Because here we have a huge factory; it shut down. It was a supply issue because the only demand impact was a small section of China that had retail shut down and those sorts of things. Fast mm. forward to April seventh, uh, uh, and all of a sudden, it's no longer a, a supply issue. It's a it's a it's a global demand issue, yeah. and the fact is is that retail, global retail, so global global consumer spending has come to a standstill, and people can talk about well, you know, there's all sorts of e-commerce that's still taking place. The reality of e-commerce right now is that all of the supply chains at this moment in time, and this is going to change have geared their supply towards dealing with the, with the effects of the corona, the coronavirus or COVID-19. Yeah. So 
discretionary spending on things like clothing and footwear and the things that impact our business and the leather business, automobiles, um, that's come to a standstill. I mean, I mean, as you know, it's not a literal standstill, but it's a standstill. I can tell you that. Yeah. Interestingly enough, while it's a standstill, the major brands of the world and the and that are that are selling footwear and clothing and everything else are still really trying to get their hands around what it means. Yeah. Every everybody knows that it means what it means to day and what it meant last week and the week before and probably next week but they are really struggling to figure out what it means a month from now two months from now because there's no concrete answer to that question and that is the bigger problem yes because whatever the answer is the truth is that none of us knows right now what, what? And and you know, as you know, we have a wide array, a, a, a wide array of customers. Mm. Each each and and of many different sizes, but they're all every one of our customers that we consider our core group are global brands. So they sell around the world. Each one has a different view of what's going to happen. Each one is planning differently. And and uh, for us, that creates a a, a significant issue. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to plan, but build in a wide margin of flexibility within that plan. Yeah. And uh, because again, because of the unknown. Yeah. I can I can imagine how complex that is, John. Yeah. Um, so let's let's think about this. Uh, I was it, it sort of touches on what you were just saying. The the leather industry has definitely benefited in many, many ways from the globalization of our economic system. So I'm asking you here, to what extent is this a case of taking the bad times after we took the good times? Now, I know it's an oversimplification, but if you just yeah. think about it in, in those binary terms, uh, we took the good times, do we need to take the bad times too? Yeah, I mean, again, I don't, I'm not sure that, that we can say... You know, we're, to a, to the extent we're paying for um, uh, we're paying for past sins or, or whatever the case may be. What I believe is that, um, and anyone that's listened to me talk knows what I believe. I've believed for some time now that regional um, supply chains, so globally regional supply chains. Um, are the trend of the future and this big, you know, these big manufacturing states or manufacturing blocks that have been following low labor costs forever um, will ultimately go away um, because there's, you know, there's already been a big step towards parity and costs Mm. Um, around the world, we're nowhere that we're nowhere near there yet, but but it's moving in that direction, and I believe that you know um, goods being being available, the supply chain being available in a particular country in a particular region um, will get a, a massive uh, look um, because of this, and I think the lesson that was learned was that. Globalization for sneakers and for 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 clothing and jeans and all that is is fine, 
right? It's not a problem. Mm. Um, but for critical goods, medicines, security, software, uh, medical hardware, I believe that every country in the world is learning a lesson here yeah. that they need a supply chain that is national instead of global. For and, some and things. And, and we'll see it. We'll definitely see it because rightfully so, countries need to take care of their own citizens before they're even able to, not, not a question of desire, before they're even able to take care of the rest of the world. We will be in a much better position if all of the developed countries in the world were in a position to take care of themselves because that will lead to their ability to take care of those that are not so fortunate. Mm. And right now, we can't do that. None of the development countries, no matter who wants to, what the desire is, everyone's struggling to take care of their own needs. We haven't even seen the effect of this thing on, on some of the countries in Africa, for instance. What's yeah. going to happen in India? What's going to happen in Bangladesh? Mm. These, these countries normally would get a helping hand from, from the West. Yeah. We're using all of our resources. Yeah. So, it, I mean, to, to basically to sum it up, I would say that we're going to see a change. And I think that, I think that again, for, for mass, um, mass manufacturing, we've already, we've been watching that change for the last four years as, as things have diluted out, not gone away out of China, but diluted into other Pacific Rim um, countries. I think what we're going to see is that we're going to see, actually, I think we're going to see some strong legislation from the West in terms of what can't do what business or what trade they will do with China. But I think we will see continued dilution of China, especially for those critical, those critical goods. Mm. Well, how, you know, I'm not asking you to name any names here, but you know the global brands very well. I've spoken yes. to a couple and I shan't name names either. What yeah. I will tell you is the ones I'm thinking of, I don't think are connected to you. So, but anyway, my, here's my observation. At the yeah. moment anyway, so we are talking in early April, they seem to me to be sticking their fingers in their ears and hoping that everything will go back to the way it was before as fast as possible. They, they, yeah. they, they don't want to contemplate it, at least not out loud. And um, that worries yeah. me slightly because the situation that you just described and there's great reasoning behind it will definitely have an effect on the on the global yes. brands. So what will they look like after this? Yeah, I think that I think that human nature um, in the midst of crisis uh, pushes pushes long term solution down the road. Mm. Um, and it's very difficult to, to be in a position of situational management in a crisis and at the same time solve your longer term problems. And, and I think that uh, most of the global brands are global brands for a reason. Yeah. They've got extraordinarily smart people, uh, intelligent people that built those, built those brands and built those supply chains. And, but just like anything else, I think that some are further along in terms of, in terms of uh, having longer-term supply chain, um, uh, let's say, say pathways. Mm. And 
what I would suggest is that this this will uh, fasten the pace of those um, that are already changing, but they'll do it in a in a in a much faster much faster way. Okay. It's as you know in our industry, and I'm just talking about um, lifestyle and athletic brands. We don't do business much business with fast fashion. That's a different mm. ball game altogether. But in our business, you know, the vast majority of our customers had been diluting their um, their Chinese footprint for the last four years, or in some cases, a little bit longer. Mm. Um, my sense is that that will that pace will uh, continue and, and probably increase at a, at a at a much much faster pace. And I think that this will open the minds and open the planning even more so to quicken the pace again of regional manufacturing and not for everything, but for, for specialty stuff, for the stuff that is different, the stuff that is unique. And, uh, you know, I, I, I truly believe that, that, uh, you know, North America to a certain extent, five years, three years from now, two years from now will be supplied in footwear um, by North America at a much bigger percentage than they're currently there. Will it be the majority of the percentage? Probably not, but it'll be, a, it'll be a bigger stake okay. um, for, you know, for country, for country or region for region um, supply chains. Okay. How fascinating. Um, the, I, I don't mean to, um, uh, I don't mean to uh, drag up um, what might have been, you know, might be painful to reflect on this, but I was thinking about conversations yeah. that you and I had at the end of 2019 when you were genuinely optimistic about how things were going. So before this, before this crisis hit us, um, yeah. just give me a brief reflection on how things were looking uh, to you to be going at that point. Um, end of 2019, first, yeah, first and, month. End of 2019, uh, Prime Asia was uh, doing very well. I mean, we're just we finished 2019. It's no, uh, it's, it's not, it's not uh, secret. Um, we ended the year up um, 18 to 20 percent um, on demand year on year. Uh, we shipped just about 110 million square feet. It was our our uh, for third or fourth third or fourth um, best or, or most most shipments um, ever in the in the history of the company. We had um, basically just completed a, a, a massive um, investment uh, in our expansion in Vietnam, and yeah. that was coming online. And we're starting to see those efficiencies. We still are. Um, and so that was, uh, very positive, honestly, 2020, uh, our plan was to have, uh, to be up at about 119 million or 9% growth in 2020. Mm. Um, we have it just since, since this happened, uh, our first adjustment against, um, COVID-19 in terms of our outlook and our, and our guidance was on February 10th. Um, and we basically went from plus nine percent to a to a guidance of flat from 2019 to 2020. 
Yeah. We had a we had a we had a second guidance update on March 11th, and we then moved to uh, a significant decrease uh, year on year. And we have two we've had two guidance reviews since then, March 23rd, and again April 4th. Each time, obviously decreasing um, the outlook uh, for 2020. So this is a. This is an absolutely a short-term devastating blow um, for us. Um, the question becomes, there's a big difference between a short-term devastating blow and, uh, and a long-term devastating blow. Uh, we we, we uh, strongly believe that we will get through this um, for, for, for many reasons. Um, and, but we believe that, that, uh, we can right size to this situation and then come back out on the other side and right size for, for us getting, uh, clawing back towards whatever normal happens to look like a year from now. Mm. Um, but it, but it's a, it's a big impact. We were, we were, we felt real good about what was going on. Uh, we were spending a lot of money on our investments and the, back into our business um, with a focus obviously on efficiency on uh, on energy management and sustainability programs uh, automation all these sorts of things and uh, that we're really just getting to that point here in the first quarter of 2020 where things were starting to roll um, the other thing that this will affect, obviously, which is, again, I think probably all businesses are the same way. It will dramatically affect our spending in 2021. And we had a lot more spending to take place in both China and Vietnam um, to continue along those same lines of auto, to automize the, the facility and sustainability projects. Uh, repurposing, recycling, these sorts of things. And that will slow these projects down. Um, I'm still confident that we will, we will pick up where we left off. Uh, but again, as I said, without a, without a, a firm kind of, you know, global get back to work order, which there isn't one and there never will be one, um, that planning becomes very difficult. Understood. All right, John. Uh, you, as you say, you know, by late January, you were hands-on engaged with this. And I suppose yeah. the, the next question I wanted to ask you, really, a different way to ask it would be to say, what did, what did, you know, you've had a head start on most of the rest of us. So what, what would you say are the, the important things about learning how to cope um, with running yeah. a big business in, in this particular yeah. crisis? Well, I mean, uh, from my perspective, um, we well, the most important thing is to is to, is to um, stick to your core values, right? And the first thing that we said from day one, and the first thing that we put out in a in a news release to our stakeholders was that our first priority was to protect our people. Mm -hmm. And, and that had to, at the time, that had to do with our personnel in China or our personnel that was moving around um, the world. Um, and it had to do with basically their, their physical health, right? Protect our physical health. 
Um, but we take that as we look at the, the bigger entity now, you kind of take that uh, and, and as, a, as a much larger um, philosophy and you work to protect your people um, financially as well, uh, security, if you will, um, in any way you possibly can. Obviously, there's there's a lot of hard choices that have to be made, but there are different ways to deal with that. The difference between layoffs and furloughs and and cutting back on overtimes and looking at base pay. I mean, there's a whole host of different ways that you can go about right sizing for this. And it, from our perspective, we try to keep the welfare of our people as a, as the first marker of whether we're doing that right or wrong. Mm -hmm. The second part is that we learned early on that in this particular environment, we needed to stay current um, globally with what's going on. We, our crystal ball didn't work just like the rest of the world's crystal ball didn't work. If you had told me on, in, uh, you know, in, March. February or the end of January yeah, that we yeah. would be where we are today. Forget about it. You know, we didn't see that. So we, we decided early on that this was a situational management um, stance we had to take and situational management is not something that I like to do, right? Mm -hmm. I don't, that's not how we manage. We manage basically based on, on our best viewpoint and then manage to that viewpoint. In this particular case, we need to manage situationally and, and make sure that we build flex into every decision we make. Yeah. And, and that's what we did. Um, yeah. And then lastly, obviously, we, we, we basically took a posture that said, we're doing what we need to do short term to be sure that we come out of this long term. And, um, so the, those are, those are the, 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 the pillars, the, the last pillar, which I think is evident from anyone that's a stakeholder Prime Asia, is communication. We, we also said early on that we're going to let our stakeholders, not only our employees, but in our management group, but our, but our entire stakeholder supply chain through to customers understand what we're doing every step of the way so that we are transparent and that I believe the transparency, obviously, is always the right choice. Good. Um, the summaries that you sent out um, and communicated with um, all your stakeholders yes. made it clear that you, you were able to get production up and running again at Prime Asia China that uh, Prime Asia Vietnam had been able to um, support the, the, the group uh, activity while um, yes. you were building China back up. I have in my mind a, a sort of image of you're just managing to get back more or less to 100% capacity at Prime Asia China in Wangjiang just when it must have begun to become clear that this was a bigger issue than confined just to that outbreak in, in China and and that the, the big the big problem in the weeks and months that follow is going to be this question of what this does to demand and therefore you've recovered the capacity to be able to produce but if we all face this downturn in demand 
it's it's a new a new blow. Uh, uh, that's that's the image I had in my mind, um, and I suppose that's that's really what you've just talked about um, of of what you're able to do uh, as this develops. Uh, but I wonder, it must have felt like um, getting back off, up off the canvas, and then being hit again, all 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 over again. It must, it must have been. Well, I mean, honestly, we had uh, we we were back at we were back at one hundred percent capacity um, by March first. So we had we had about a, a month between. New Year. We had a month. We, yeah, we had a month before basically the the. the the virus. It was clear that the virus was was a was a global phenomenon, and so on, really at the beginning of March, the first of March, we really moved. As I had talked about, we moved from a, a supply issue to a demand issue. Yeah. And from March from March first, it was clearly a demand issue. Now the problem with the the the, the way that it rolled out was that this demand issue for the month of March really was 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 sent entered in the China domestic market. Yeah. All right. So we immediately saw the demand for our China domestic um, uh, uh, capacity drop um, almost almost to zero for for basically a 60 day period. You get towards the end of March and you start to see daylight. You start to see some um, activity coming back in terms of demand against for, for China for China. Um, for China, for China and footwear and, and leather demand. And then as we got into April and we're into basically the first week, um, uh, well, actually we, we get into like the second week of March, we started to see that it was, it was becoming um, significantly more than just the China demand issue. It was going to become um, a global demand issue. And that was the sledgehammer to the head right there. Yeah. And, and over that period of time, through that, through that period of time, we had updated our, um, our forecast vision, as I just spoke about four separate times. Yeah. And, um, and it just, we just couldn't, honestly, we just couldn't do it fast enough because each week, um, brought a new realization. Yeah, and the, the the real one for us was when when uh, when when various periodicals and articles and and customers started quoting, you know, sixty five percent decrease the week of March twenty first in retail sales of athletic footwear globally, um, and and from there it's gotten worse. But that was really the, the the line in the sand that said, "Okay, um, this is this is unprecedented. This we need to we need to quickly, um, you know, update our plan and and get extraordinarily aggressive on how we're going to deal with this." Okay. All right, John. Well, look. Um, in wrapping up, I want to ask you one last question, but in two parts, mm-hmm. and it's. It ties in with, uh, you've already described the changes that, that you think could happen with supply chains becoming more regionalized, at least for some products. And yeah. I wonder what that means in the context of the leather industry. If you first consider what that would look like for 
the, the bigger companies in the global leather industry, in, including Prime Asia, but I'm not talking specifically about Prime Asia. I'm just, I just mean that if, in the way you've described that, and you mentioned that you think more footwear would be made in North America, for example. So what, what does that what does that do to the suppliers of the leather, the bigger ones? But then the second part of the question is what you what you can see ahead for. I think you know the vast majority of the companies in the leather value chain who are much smaller yeah well i mean the first of first of all obviously it's, it's extraordinarily difficult to say um what we're going to look like in a post COVID 19 um, world um but first and foremost in my opinion one of the most important thing is to have the belief that 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 you're going to get through to this to the other side um you don't need to know what the time frame is but you have to have the belief and you also have to understand that there are certain things that you need to do to be able to manage that time when you're basically in quote unquote crisis Mm. um i'm not i i don't know um, everyone's situation. What I can tell you, though, is that uh, we, I have, uh, we have, we have, and I have reached out to our peers to see if whatever we can do to help. Um, we want to support the greater leather industry and the greater supply chain um, of our industry, and we are we are there to help because the reality of this is that larger companies have an advantage and it's not because of of demand or the demand profile it's because the leather industry is absolutely brutal and unforgiving because you have a you have a three four five sometimes month supply chain in raw material and chemical um that is cash flow related yeah and 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 it and and every time it is cash flow that closes a company. And if you think about the leather industry, the leather industry is one of those industries that basically needs to invest in this raw material and chemical, which is at this moment in time is close to sixty-two percent of your cost mm. um, without an order. And, and other industries kind of can have the luxury of waiting for an order to do this and do that, not our industry. And so without cash flow or credit lines, business becomes very, very challenging. So in my doubt, in my, in my mind, um, there will be, unfortunately, there will be many, many smaller companies throughout the supply chain that struggle to keep up simply from a cash flow and from a credit line standpoint and that are that 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 will undoubtedly fail and uh, um, that will result obviously in more consolidation and uh, and some you know those ones that do survive that have the means to make it through they're not any smarter Honestly, I got to tell you that the, the difference between a large company and a small company has nothing to do with brains or intelligence. It basically has to do with the infrastructure of finance that will allow people to to move on. Mm. And uh, so, some of these really good people that, that have had companies, uh, you know, for generations 
I think we will see um, disappear and and at best perhaps maybe even get get bought up or helped out by some of some some others um, mm. and so I, I think that it's inevitable that 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 we will see that situation play out and the question becomes again the longer this goes on the more strain that it will be on these smaller businesses and it's the same thing outside the leather industry i mean obviously yeah. if you look at some of the relief packages that america has put in place and other countries have put out they, they're all focused towards small business yes because these are the guys that need the help these are the guys that, that don't have more than 30 days of cash flow to, to pay payroll and to rent and, and all of that. And then in our industry to put on that extra burden of a pipeline of raw materials is just that much harder. Yeah. So I, 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 I worry about this uh, constantly. It's not good for our industry. Uh, consolidation is not necessarily good for our industry. Uh, we have a tremendous amount of innovation um, and, and ideas and uh, intellectual strength come from this vast number of small companies in our industry. And uh, we would be a very different place if, if we lost half of that. Um, if this goes on for, you know, six months, I think that's very real that we could actually be in that position. It goes on for two months and, 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 and consumers start to spend again. I think that there's a very good chance that the vast majority will, will have a better chance at making it. But again, our, everyone's crystal ball doesn't work right now. No. Well, we can only hope then that the scenario yeah. that plays out is the one you just said, that it is a shorter time yeah. and that yeah. there is some support and that the support reaches the places it has to reach and the people it has to reach. And, yeah. and and that life can, if not go back to exactly the way it was, at least some semblance of going back to what we knew. And yeah. maybe well, the other the, the other part of that of that story, which is the untold part of that story, is obviously that you know leather as a material had been challenged over the last number of years anyway. Yeah, and smaller place, smaller companies have been challenged. Um, just simply because of, of this, this um, directional change uh, from leather to more man-made, more synthetics, and those sorts of things. I would say that, that uh, there's, there's never been a, 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 a greater need for our industry to come together and speak with a single voice and continue to carry down that road of education and promotion and all of these different things um, as a as a global entity, not necessarily simply as a region as a, a group of regional entities. Mm. We're coming out of that. This we're going to need that. We're need, we're going to need to have all hands on deck to promote our product to to to, to really come together as a community. I, I'm I'm optimistic that we can do that. I really am. Good. Well, let's end on that note of optimism, John, because it's always a, a good thing to do that. A good um, way to do it, yes. I'm so grateful to you for sharing these thoughts. Um, I appreciate you letting me to speak. Obviously, these are all things that, that uh, are on my mind. And, um, and again, I think that uh, we're better together than, than separate. 
and uh, I'm I believe that uh, we will find a path. It's not going to be easy, but we'll find a path. Okay, fantastic, John. Thank Stephen, you, Stephen. Thank you, my man. Stay well. I will. Hopefully, I'll speak with you soon. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Take care. That's the end of this Leather Leaders discussion in the World Leather podcast series. I hope you found it interesting and thought-provoking. We'll be back again with another episode soon. This is Stephen Tierney saying goodbye and thanks for listening.